All right. Welcome back to Not So Giant Women, the new Steven Universe podcast. It's Ivy and Daria again. And today we will be watching and discussing episode one, which is called Gem Glow. And last time we kicked off our new podcast by watching the pilot. And Daria, since you watched it, do you have any any thoughts you want to bring up before we venture forward into unknown territory? Not quite yet, because I know I talked a lot on the pilot about their pilot. Yeah. I mean, so I could, you haven't I could, had any thoughts in the meantime that you wanted to throw out here? No, I think that the difference between pilot and series for me is sort of at the moment keeping me in check because anything I have about, oh, where is this going might be, oh, it, it completely disappears for the series. That is very wise in this case. <laughs> There's definitely a disconnect. So I've got it paused on my screen here, ready to play. And even already, just with that screen, I can see the character differences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, much, much more stylized. Garnet's a lot more squared off. And uh, <laughs> the crystal gems don't have ears anymore. <laughs> that is interesting. You picked that up. Yeah, character design has definitely changed. So. One of the things that seems to have disappeared is the ears, except for on Steven. So, wow. (laughs) All that from a still, huh? (laughs) The gems largely seem to have a lot more hair than Steven. So I don't know if they're covered or if they just don't have any. I'm not an expert on crystal gem biology at this point. Well, we'll see if you become one. (laughs) I'm happy to dive in and press play. Okay. So I guess with that, we can start with... Episode one, Gem Glow. (laughs) That was fun. Uh, Definitely enjoyed that. That's your first off-the-cuff short review. And shall I do the recap and see how I go? Yeah, just uh, people are pretty familiar with this uh, probably, so you don't have to be super detailed, but you can run through kind of what you remember about it. Well, I figured also maybe some of the veteran fans, it gives them a bit of curiosity or amusement to hear me say this and they go, ooh, is that what she thinks is going on? Yeah. Is that how she processes about six years of fandom? That's really interesting to hear too. First impressions, because it's been so long since most of us had a first impression on this. Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Okay, in this first episode of the series proper, Stephen is back down to Donut Shop, which apparently sells all sorts of tasty snacks, but it no longer sells his favorite ice cream sandwich, Cookie Cat. And he is very disappointed about this. He is quite morose. I understand this because I always end up liking foods that get discontinued as soon as I find them too. The clerks at the Donut Shop say that at least he can take with him the promotional freezer that they used to stock Cookie Cats in. Stephen has no taste for its replacement rival, the Lion Liquor, and I've got to say, the Lion Liquor Half Melted looks like a lot of similar ice creams I've seen over here, at least. (laughs) So at least slightly buoyed, he takes his freezer back to the treehouse where the crystal gems are dealing with a flock or herd or whatever the collective noun is of centripetals, which are like large grub-like things that are scampering all over the house and messing things up. One of them even disposes of a centripetal by breaking its neck on screen, which is not something you used to see a lot of in kids' shows and probably only get away with doing it to centripetals, to be honest. (laughs) 
Once these are dealt with, so they note as these centripetals had no gems within, there must be a mama centripetal nearby, but there's enough of the lull in the action for the crystal gems to reveal that they found and, well, according to Amethyst stole, according to Pearl, went back and paid for some of the last batch of cookie cats. This makes him <laughs> quite happy and he's going to preserve them, but eat one of them right now. And after a performance of the cookie cat advert jingle. Another thing I remember from my childhood is reenacting ice block advert jingles. So I guess this is a universal experience. And as he's eating it, the gem in his navel starts to glow, but it soon flickers out because he doesn't know how to summon a weapon from it yet. He gets amusing little lessons in weapon summoning 101 for when the time comes from each of the crystal gems. Pearls is very much based on random number theory and petals falling and biospheres, and he doesn't understand it. Amethyst says it's something you just do, and he hasn't quite got the hang of that yet. And Garnet's is incredibly deep and cosmic and just makes him feel small about his place in the universe, but moreover, doesn't have him summon a weapon. He figures the best way to try to summon his weapon is re enact what they were doing before when he almost summoned it. This involves everyone standing exactly as they were, him singing and eating the cookie cat, and he briefly summons a shield from his gem, which then bounces around the house Captain America style before smashing into their TV slash VCR, which has all the right cables on it too, so that was a good attention to detail on their part. Just when they're wowing out about this, what one assumes to be the mama centripetal and a bunch of more little ones comes and needs to be dealt with, they all go outside to battle. Stephen brings the remaining supply of cookie cat in the promotional refrigerator and a very long extension cord. Once again, the centripetal mother has our heroes on the ropes. Stephen tries to eat ice cream and summon his weapon. But it doesn't work. However, in the ensuing battle, he does manage to, well, in the ensuing battle, each lot of cookie cats and the centripetal breaks the freezer. He ends up using his freezer, which is now all sparking and electricing, to shock up Mama Centripetal, enabling the gems to do the remainder and finish it off, after which it disappears and a small glowing ball falls out of it into Garnet's hand, which then itself disappears. Stephen mourns the loss of the last cookie cats as he ate them all, trying to summon his gem. And he also mourns the fact he ate so many cookie cats because now he is quite, quite sick and throws up as we go to credits. Mm. Poor Stephen. He did good, didn't he? He did good. It's, a, it's again, he's not in the same fighting league as the other three, but he's he's got the heart and the luck to keep him going they definitely explained to him in very clear terms what a gem is the summoning of weapons and that he may not have his working yet but it will one day and they're glad to have him around so that's nice of them to explain that to us too yeah so what do you think should we go ahead and talk about the episode or should we start by doing some comparison and contrast to the pilot uh, let's compare and contrast first up okay i noticed the different designs of of course, the crystal gems yeah. seem a lot more stylized in particular. Yeah. Garnet's afro is much more squared off and 
almost loaf of bread shaped rather than yes. the more organic it was last week. Oh, yes. in the pilot, I should Cubic. say. <laughs> in fact, she sounds more English as, but there could be, mm -hmm. I'm noticing because she's actually talking more. She was yeah. very terse last week, whereas this week she was giving entire sentences and lectures. Yep, kind of uh, less than everybody else, but I think you're, you're, you're right. She definitely had quite a few uh, moments to shine there with some voice acting. <laughs> Amethyst, so far as I can tell, is doesn't look terribly different compared to some of the other stylizations. Her personality yeah. is basically what it was before, even though she has a duty, she is not the most mature of the three. I need to correct my younger self too. I called them a Jungian triad, and of course I should have said Freudian, so we've probably already been told off by people in the comments about that. <laughs> And Pearl seems a little bit less snippy now that she's talking more, but it's still clear how she does things. And she seems very eager to explain to Stephen in complex words how the weapon summoning could go. Yeah, I thought she came across much more nurturing than she was in the pilot. Like, didn't make jokes at his expense or make him feel crappy about mistakes that he, he's made, stuff like that. I think that's very accurate read of her change. But she's still very neat and organized and by the rules. She, After they stole the cookie cats, she went back and paid for them and she was <laughs> very eager for the chance to explain something to someone. I'll go first. <laughs> she sounded a bit like the classic maiden auntie when she said that, but I think that's yeah. just her enthusiasm. She's cute. Stephen just kind of looks a bit squatter since the pilot, but seems to be much the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Amethyst and Stephen changed least. There's noticeable differences, but it's mostly in just kind of style rather than details. Pearl and Garnet are very different. And save for slight differences, the donut shop assistants are still there, so I guess we're going mm -hmm. to be seeing them stick around. They seem like they were a little farther away. Maybe uh, maybe they, they learned that they would get crushed by centipedal monsters if they built it that close. <laughs> but maybe it was definitely in walking distance. So Maybe they made their shop mobile just to be on the safe side. <laughs> they should just put it on wheels and roll it away every time a monster attacks. Yeah. We're definitely in yep. a town or a city or something now. Last mm -hmm. week you could be forgiven for thinking that the entire place was just a donut shop and the treehouse. Mm -hmm. But we saw a couple of the streets and other people around moreover. So obviously there's some kind of community, but so far no indications that any of them are particularly surprised or otherwise about the presence of gem warriors and the occasional monster creeping down. And we see that the crystal gems are used to this fighting stick. They, Stephen comes yeah. home to find the centripetals all over the house and they just kind of apologise to him for the mess is just something they've got to take care of. These are fairly minor league, apparently, compared to other things they face, including the mother centripetal later in the show. Right. That's something I noticed about uh, they, they really used, without shoving it in your face, they said, you know, his reaction to coming home to monsters and also the, the donut shop guy making casual mention of his magic belly button. You know, it's it's still like okay, these monsters happen here and the townspeople know that it's happening. They're not hiding. So that's still the same. And Lars is not impressed, or at least claims not to be impressed with Stephen's partner at all, but 
I think it's safe yeah. to say here, at least, that Lars is something of a jerk. He really is very uh, condescending about it. Like, he's mocking him, even though he's acknowledging, like, magic. <laughs> I guess his beef is with Stephen in particular. Maybe he thinks Stephen's what we'd call here a tryhard for having a crystal that doesn't work and hanging out with warriors of whom he is not as good at yet. That could be. The other clerk, even though they say her name, I keep forgetting it, but she's obviously much better disposed towards Stephen. I don't think they said her name yet. Oh, okay. Then that's why I didn't remember it. (laughs) It's not you. (laughs) But obviously Stephen says Lars' name more often because he's always snapping back at Lars because Lars is always insulting him. I think, you know, having just watched the pilot and then watching this, it seems like Steven was not all that happy to talk to him in the pilot. He was like, oh, hey, Lars, you know, and insulted him and stuff. But in this one, he didn't seem to have like an answering sarcasm. It was just Lars was a jerk and Steven was cute and oblivious. I don't know if it was just because he was upset about the cookie cats, but. Yeah, I wondered that. Is he didn't just it out. too grief stricken about the ice cream to be able to snap back at Lars and give him what he deserves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have certainly felt like that as well when they take one of my favorite products out of the grocery store and then I just have to think about it for the rest of my life. (laughs) There's a thing going on for that right here, right now, in fact, and it's some particular brand of chocolate which only comes in once every so often and when it is (laughs) released, there's like message boards lighting up and saying, do I still have any on this side of town? Does anyone know where you can buy this caramel stuff? And people are all over getting this particular chocolate, which is, I mean, it's nice and all, but apparently it's rarity or something just hits home with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it was happening in this world, you know that there would be message boards about Cookie Cat. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else that you want to say about comparing the pilot and the first episode of the show proper? Uh, Mostly it's a lot more smooth. You can tell that they knew this was going to be the one that actually went to broadcast rather than as proof of concept. Not that the pilot was horribly rough or anything, but you can see how they've been able to refine what they're doing because they know this is going to go out and be seen by thousands or millions of people. Ah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know, you mentioned the character designs being smoother and uh I, I think that there was some direction there that they really they wanted to make the characters very recognizable down to a silhouette so mm-hmm. they kind of simplified them and if you looked at the design side by side all of them had more accessories and decoration in the original pilot and now you know any earrings or jewelry or anything it's all gone um, oh, yeah. even had one of those little hip pack things and she doesn't have it anymore. Um, little barrettes and I think Pearl had, Pearl had an earring if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, they, they really made it so that they were boiled down to a few really obvious details, um, like, or shapes really. Um, actually I think I read somewhere that they, um, they based the three main crystal gems that watch Steven on, on three shapes that Garnet is a square and Amethyst is a circle and Pearl is a triangle. And that yeah. would make sense. Yeah, I'd buy that. Yeah. Yeah. And you definitely wouldn't mistake these, wouldn't mistake right. any of these characters for each other. Their palettes are also, I mean, apart from the fact they're going to be centered around their particular gems, 
they're also very different in that apart from the obvious garnet color thing garnet for example is very bold and kind of dark colors compared to the other two which makes her stand out instantly even beyond the height and the shape right amethyst is she's somewhat more somewhat more vibrant and pearl as befits her while she's not while she's not exactly desaturated, she's paler than the other two, uses paler colours in her overall look. Oh, yes. Definitely. And Stephen kind of rounds it out by being a mixture of things as befits sort of your average human being with, you know, an assortment of non-themed clothes and skin and hair colours that are, you know, not primary or secondary colours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were they were talking about kind of with with some character design stuff. They were talking about especially with Pearl and Amethyst that they basically wanted them to be opposites of each other in a lot of ways. And with Pearl being every opportunity they got to make her very stiff and very straight, including her weapon being a spear. It's just a stick. You know, it's graceful, but it's it's very rigid. And then you have Amethyst who's the opposite in pretty much every way. And her weapon is that whip and that's as wiggly as you can get and as flexible as you can get. So I think that was a really interesting sort of theory thing behind funny cartoons, you know? <laughs> yeah. And right down to their physiques, one's tall and thin, the other's short and fat. The pearl stands fairly rigidly amethyst is fluid motions all over the place yep yep and uh, they make it very clear with their first lines and their descriptions of how to do weapons for steven that uh that's the attitudes as well you know that pearl has very uh very specific strict standards for how things should be done and amethyst is like just feel it <laughs> Yeah, in some ways this was as much a uh, not chilling the characters as the pilot was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it did uh, iterate some of the things that we, we already saw, but I think that they got it um, a little more specific. And, of course, we got to spend a little more time with them too. So that was cool. Hmm. Um, so... Uh, I guess we're we're probably done with the comparisons, but I have a couple other fun little things to ask you about what you thought. Shoot, what? Yep. Um, how about that? Uh, how about their house? The uh, uh, Pearl referred to it as uh, the temple. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't quite cotton on that. That was she was talking about the house. I thought there was a a separate thing when she when she said it, as in there. I thought, oh, they're here. I interpret it as they are here, and they're also getting into the temple, which is not where I'm currently standing. But okay, oh, um, yeah, the, the the house that they were in is, I think, like built right on the front of the temple. The temple is uh, as he's running from the big donut shop to home. You just see in the distance, kind of this big hill and this big you know, hmm. structure that he's running toward. And uh, a, lo a lot of people who 
like to look at scenery and stuff really love that scene because it's just it's it's painted so pretty <laughs> okay that does kind of fit with how i thought of it though is the there was a, a house bit that joined the temple bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in fact i kept calling it the tree house even though now it was nowhere near a tree in the main series but i guess it's kind of stuck <laughs> In fact, I think the pilot, it definitely looks more like a tree, but I don't know. It's got a, a lady shape or something like, but it's got moss growing on it. So it looks like it's been there forever. And now we're down on a beach and there's a sign, in fact, saying beach city. So whoever settled that was not busting out for names, but kind of tells us <laughs> exactly where we are. Oh, that's great. Yeah. In the in the pilot, it was just somewhere, but here we definitely see the shore near the the temple in the house. Yeah. Yep. Let's see. So, just like um, just like they did in the pilot, they just threw us right in, and they didn't they didn't tell us. Uh, you know what was going on. I didn't sit down and say, this is the story so far. So we still really, if we're coming in with no background, we have no idea why Stephen is with them still. Like, why is he one of them? And why is he the one who doesn't know how to do anything yet? So I think that's pretty, that's pretty much where we left it. Yeah. And obviously, at least to all appearances, he's a regular human and they are colorful gem people. Right. So we don't know. It doesn't seem to have a gem name. Yeah, so we're left to still wonder, is he an anomaly? Is this like a larval stage of a gem warrior or something else entirely? Yeah. I kind of like that they do that. Like some people say that it was too confusing and I just think, well, watch some anime. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, because there are so many shows, especially – that uh, are animated but are not necessarily pointed at children where they don't mm-hmm. feel like they have to uh, dim it down and, and treat you like you're not going to figure it out. They just start the story and we'll figure it out. <laughs> and really, what more do we need to know this early on? He's a young, a young boy who's living with these warriors who are taking care of him to some extent. They are gem warrior fighters of all kinds of strangeness. He wants to be or is set to be, but for whatever reason is not yet. And that's kind of all there is at this point. You don't really need to know at this stage how he came to be here because it's not actually directly affecting the story. If I had watched that in isolation, I mean, not even knowing there was a series to go with it, I would still be able to join the dots and tell as much as I need to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of stories that are very coming of age uh, stories in science fiction fantasy where the whole main like first arc and beyond sometimes is the is main character discovering superpowers or adopting their stepping into their destiny or so happens all the time where you <laughs> well, that's basically Star Wars, isn't it? Yeah. 
Definitely. Just hoping there won't be any uh, dead uns. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if we can show burning, burning, burning corpses on kids' TV yet, but I didn't know you could break necks either, so who knows? Well, <laughs> we'll see. What else can we talk about? So the, the villain of the episode was the centipedo monster with multiple daughter gem creatures with no gems and then one mother. Uh, that's pretty strange. They just disappear when they're defeated. But then the mother did, had a slightly different thing going on, like you mentioned. Uh, the summer, it dropped a glowing ball and Garnet did something with it. Like, okay, what just happened? <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> that's a nice little tag to make us wonder without breaking things too much. Okay, apparently monsters should or do or do not have gems. That's probably what the book, that's probably what the ball, sorry, I take that again. The monsters have gems or should have gems, at least as far as our heroes think. That appeared to be what the ball was that fell out of the mother. Uh, Garnet simply took it and did something as as if she expected this to happen. So obviously there is something about gems that makes something about a creature or monster or attacker or what have you. Little ones, I took a guess that because they were little tiny baby ones that they weren't developed enough to have gems yet, whether or not that's going to come back and I'm going to learn more, I don't know, but... That seemed to be what was happening, at least based on what we've seen so far. Yep. Here's something I think is interesting. Oh, did you have something else to say about the beetle? I was just going to say it kind of reminded me of a video game when the gem did come out of it, that often when you defeat a creature, a boss, whatever, then something pops out to be a bonus or whatever. Oh, that's true. I don't really play video games very much, but in my limited exposure to them, like, they drop loot, right? Yep, that's off in the way, and that's what that reminded me of. And sometimes they're actually little little crystals. <laughs> yeah. I think these guys play a lot of video games. <laughs> that would not surprise me these days. Yeah. I think, because um, we're both 40-ish, and uh, the people who made this cartoon are maybe a generation to half a generation behind us. Um, Rebecca Sugar, I guess, is 32 now. Yeah. So she started doing this in her 20s. Mm-hmm. And oh, we're definitely in an era in which not only do adults play video games, but a lot of the creative forces behind things we like are sort of the the nerds of our childhood all grown up. So. I quite mm-hmm. happily believe that these people are, you know, at least firing up the Xbox every so often in their spare time. Undoubtedly. <laughs> well, here might be something interesting to discuss that ties to implications in real life. Uh, one of the things that struck me most strongly when I first saw this was Ben didn't know what his weapon was going to be. Nobody knew what his weapon was going to be. And when it came out, it was pink and it was a shield. And you see in a lot of cartoons, especially the ones that are about and for, you know, aimed at boys, that 
you usually see the boys are the fighters and the girls are the protectors or the healers. Um, you know, they almost oh, yeah. never have the, the punching powers and stuff. And this mm-hmm. is like a reversal of that where Steven has something that's not really even a weapon. I mean, it can be if you Captain America, it, like you were saying, but um, <laughs> it's designed for protectiveness and it's, it's uh, pink colored and he's not, at all dismayed about that he's like i get a shield all right you know and i thought that was really uh smart of them the way that they presented it because there's i mean there's no there's no difference in the way that they present steven versus maybe other little boy characters it's not like they're trying specifically make him uh listen gender non-conforming or anything you look at him and you think oh that's probably a little that's a typical little boy he's not on as if you're him as at all girlish but then he's these you know these things with a shield and it's and it's pink and he has no problem with that i i think you know we need to see more of that sort of thing where little boys are not like oh no it's pink you know that he's not going to have a personal crisis over that or the fact that he doesn't get a cooler weapon or something like that he's he's happy with that and just has to be included uh, and like i mentioned last time that he's following this uh trio of superheroes that are not boys so it's it's really cool to me that they that they're going there immediately yeah, I was pleased. I was happy too of his reaction at the shield, and uh, yeah, of course I didn't quite twig. I just because of his gem color, but yeah, it's it's pink, and he's not sort of in, insisting that it should be another color. And the the grown up gem warriors, the crystal gems, there's no sort of. I mean, Lars is a bit snide about it, but that's Lars. But there's no question of them being the lesser or anything like that because they're women or appear as women as far as humans' eyes can see. So we haven't heard anyone so far suggest that there should be man crystal gems out there who are stronger and better and equipped with different weapons or anything. And I like that, that it's still presented as a way he can look up to these people but not make it a big gender issue and you're right sort of if you had to cast a typical young boy apart from the crystals and gems and everything Stephen would pretty much be it in his attitude mm-hmm. yep and he's you know he's relatable he wants to eat junk food he wants with like the adventures and everything can I come and all that so everybody knows what it's like to want to want to be like that so you know everybody can kind of relate to it yeah uh, and the crystal gems are still happy for well happy not, not be the word but still content for him to end up in danger with the rest of them but I think that's also as much a property of cartoons that Seasoned warriors are always dragging human children into battle with them, despite the risk. Yeah, I think that they want him to, um, they, they always tell him to do things like in the house or you're not, he will take care of him. But when it came down to it, like he, he proved himself, not quite in the way that they're used to, but he, uh, he, was, he was brave and he sacrificed his cookie cat. <laughs> <laughs> 
that was interesting too, because even though there are a couple things that happen, you know, you, you kind of expect that in the hour of need, it's going to be like, he has to figure something else out. I really like that there wasn't just a simple solution. Like, you've just got to believe that you can do it and then you can do it. Like he had to figure out a way to solve the problem and help his friends, even though his plan A was not working and he figured something out. (laughs) And he barely hesitated about sacrificing his beloved cookie cats either. He Mm -hmm. was reluctant, of course, but he didn't have this selfish moment of, oh no, my ice creams are my friends. When he realized that this is what he had to do, he just did. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I don't think I've heard anyone make that observation yet. Speaking of the cookie cats, I was thinking how, okay, so the show opens, then you hear Steven screaming, no, and the whole place just is rumbling with the strength of his no. He's Something terrible has happened. And then you find out, you know, they're out of his favorite ice cream and they're not making it anymore. And it's like, okay, they've opened this fantasy show with a very sort of mundane, relatable crisis. I thought that that was pretty ingenious for what they're trying to do, where they're clearly showing a boy who has relationships with typical human people and relationships with these magical warriors. And he he seems to be able to flip between those two worlds. And a crisis in one of those worlds is just as intense as a crisis in the other. And it puts us in Stephen's shoes or mindset or however you want to put it right away. Because <laughs> as we've both said, we've all been at that place where, you know, they no longer stock our favorite ice cream or soft drink or tea or whatever. And we find out it's just going to be cut out of our lives forever. And so the mm-hmm. viewers, or at least viewers like us go, we've been there. We can relate to this kid, which means that we can continue relating to him when he's into more out of context problems like his glowing gem weapon that doesn't work we can yeah we can feel how he feels about that even though i'd say most if not all viewers don't have gems embedded in them that produce weapons yeah i i gotta say i i do not (laughs) (laughs) i've just learned never to rule anything out these days (laughs) Uh, let's see what else should i and that partly becomes that partly sidebar that partly comes because I once made a crack about someone not being a rocket scientist, and it turned out they actually were a rocket scientist. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so, uh, well, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to push you to commit or anything, but I, I wondered if uh, this early in the game, if you had a favorite character yet. Uh, it's still pretty superficial s- stage. Uh, huh. at, at, at this point, at this point, I'd probably say Amethyst, uh, who happens to be my birthstone. There you go. Great. I, I also have a history of, my favorite character in a long running thing sh- shifting as time goes on and I get to know the characters better. That'll be really interesting to hear how you're, what you're thinking. I just randomly ask you that now and then. So who's your favorite character now? <laughs> well, for now, for now it's our, it's our purple stone friend. All right. Oh, 
So what do you think? Can we talk about the music? Please do. So you got a theme song. Yeah, I like that theme song. I I don't know if I was audible, but I was already kind of singing along to it straight after it had gone out in the first scene. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. Just the, we are the crystal gems. That, yeah. bur- that burrowed straight in. Yep, well. And it's. It's, oh, it's essentially oh, the same song that Stephen played in the pilot. With well, yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah, except not sung by mm-hmm. Stephen himself on his on his ukulele. Yeah, they they adopted it and made it a legit theme song. He would be so proud. <laughs> music nerds will note that it is in a different key as well, which matters if you're trying to play it on the ukulele and <laughs> you have to learn it twice. Mm. Oh. That I didn't notice, but that's just a thing that no matter how many times someone explains to me, I comprehend it, but just can't recognize it. Right. I think that that's uh, it's not something that people will typically notice unless it's like a really obvious difference in maybe somebody singing and the sound of it being really like a lot higher or lower. But yeah, I... Um, being that I've I've learned to play several versions of the theme song, it's it's something that you you can't help but notice because you know you have to play the right notes. So um, that's how I came to find that out. I actually didn't see the pilot until after seeing most of the first season, so I kind of saw it backwards. Um, yeah, from what you're saying, it sounds like a lot of people have done that, have gotten to know the ser- the main series, then gone back to the pilot. Right. I think it did not have a super wide release and um, it was harder to find for a while. You had to like know it was out there and go looking for it. And a lot of times it wasn't purchasable through typical channels. Like if you wanted to watch them streaming or buy them on Amazon or something, you wouldn't really see the pilot in the same places. So some people didn't didn't even know it was a thing for a really long time until they started to see the art and they're like, wait, what is this? This is old versions of them. Wow, they used to look like that. That's weird. So um, so I was one of those people who see it after I already had my view of what they should look like. <laughs> so let's see. Um, more stuff about music is, of course, the Cookie Cat rap. We got that. Oh, yeah. And uh, you you said that you appreciated that and that you can you, you remember singing similar things, <laughs> jingles. Back on the playground um, at school forever ago, it, it used to be that, <laughs> that the kid who could remember the entire advert back to front like that was, you know, king of the playground for at least the next five minutes. That's so cool. <laughs> you were the hot shot if you could do it. That's funny. Um, the person who composed that made all the music on a Game Boy. Oh. So that's a fun little factoid for you. Um, Jeff Liu is the person who wrote that, and he also was one of the two people who drew the episode. He's also one of the artists. So oh, talented. he sometimes makes music for the show. Not 
all that often, but some sometimes you'll see him in the credits for some of the some of the songs. And um, actually, I guess this is a, a TV nerd thing that you're you're probably pretty familiar with this kind of thing with cartoons. But the uh, the storyboard artists for storyboard driven shows like this, you know, they kind of get a writing credit. They're not like writers writers, but they help write the episodes and they help create what happens and uh the there's a there's some discussion among you know extremely invested nerdy fans who like to pick apart details as to kind of what are the idiosyncrasies of different board artists as far as art goes or story types and stuff but the the people who drew this one are uh joe johnston and flew and i like their art both of them i believe stayed on the show the entire run so you can get used to uh seeing more of their stuff <laughs> excellent i'll keep an eye on stuff like that see if i do notice if it jumps out at me that an artist or storyboarder may have changed between episodes that's cool they usually do it in pairs um that they'll just have teams that generally work together they start switching them up around and some of them don't have entirely consistent teaming but joe and jeff worked together um throughout at least mm, the whole first season and um so joe eventually joe johnston eventually uh went more into like a um a supervisor position and stopped doing like regular storyboards but that's not until oh gosh way far from now (laughs) so you can get to enjoy more of his art they're they're both pretty cool, um, and sometimes Joe answers questions on his blog, which I have read a lot of. So, <laughs> oh, I like it when creators do that. I used to follow the head writer slash creator of Young Justice did a similar thing, and that was always very interesting. It is really cool when people make themselves accessible to the fans. I appreciate that. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes doing that makes fans feel like entitled to ask them rude stuff or yeah, say say really uh, off-putting stuff to them. I've I've heard of a few that have gotten pushed off of social media or just stop engaging because the fans are being such jerks, but you know, at the same time when something gets as popular as this finally ended up getting, you're always going to have jerks. It's not because there's something inherently wrong with people who like our show. <laughs> it's, it's just an unfortunate fact of numbers. Yep, exactly. So um, I think for the most part, having having some creators being accessible is re- a really interesting dynamic. It didn't used to be that way, at least when we were growing up. We didn't even, you know, there was no way we could get in touch with the person who made this cartoon. Um, yeah. You could maybe try to write a letter to them, but you would never hear back. They might not ever get it. <laughs> it's like writing to Santa Claus. Yeah, and so. cert- certainly you wouldn't be able to go, oh, did they do that because the fans said this? Because chances are they never knew the fans said that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Let's see. I think I have one more music thing to mention. Um, yeah, I don't know how in detail I want to go about this, but one really cool thing I heard the creators and the musicians who work on the background music talking about with this cartoon is that they they assign 
an instrument or a group of instruments to each character, mm-hmm. kind of like Peter and the Wolf style. And, like a musical um, palette. Yes, it's it's yeah, it's more like a that like a palette than that's definitely not a, a certain melody or anything. It's a it's a an instrument usually or a, you know a certain sound that they like to do. And I think it's a um, it's not just I mean it sounds a little bit gimmicky that they'll assign one to each person, but um, that's really only on the surface. One of the things that I think is really inventive about that is they'll use those instruments together to make background music for whoever is in the room. And it's just so fascinating to see how many ways that can combine and what they choose to bring out when you hear certain instruments. If you're a huge music dork and you listen to the soundtrack, it's almost like if you're pretty familiar with what's going on, you can almost hear them talk to each other through the instruments. It's really cool. So I think they're, really talented people working in the music department. Their names are Ivy and Tsurashu. So um, they work together. And that also gives them something to play with later on. Oh, yeah. It's something I've been noticing because a completely different kind of show, but I've been binging old, well, not old, but I've been binging some of the Arrowverse shows lately and I've noticed every so often they do something like they'll they'll fiddle with the title sequence or borrow someone else's kind of music to tweak the mood for you in a given way and I I like that having a style also means you can play with that style later to mess with the viewers a bit yeah yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you if you make something standard and then you change it, then that sends a message without people even quite knowing how they're getting that message. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I notice a lot of visual things, but I'm noticing music and sound more and more mm-hmm. as I as I go on. I Yeah, um so I guess the at least from um, what I've what I've gathered, uh, they usually do a sort of a synth bass sound for Garnet and some drums for Amethyst and piano for Pearl. And I can see how those those would work without without sort of sitting down and listening to a bunch of different cues. I can I can imagine how those instruments fit those characters from what I know so far. Yeah, they throw in a cute little, uh, like, chip tune sort of video game sounds for Steven. <laughs> and that fits too, that he's, really he's still pretty playful. It's so cute. It fits so well. I really adore it. <laughs> as we like to keep going back to, he's a kid, so you want something a bit light, a bit silly, a bit childish. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I don't I don't want to talk too much about kind of fan reaction because I don't want to like poison the well and stuff. But one of the things that I don't understand some people complaining about toward the beginning of the series is that Steven is a kid and that he acts like a kid. Sometimes they're like, oh, he's bratty or he's annoying. And it's like, have you ever met a child? Because... <laughs> like if he wasn't those things sometimes you'd feel like he was a saint that he wasn't childlike at all because sometimes kids 
flip out over little things or get very serious about something that isn't that serious. It's just, it's, it's realistic for, to use a word that isn't usually applied. So, so much in, (laughs) in magical shows. (laughs) And did a process like grownups do. So I like the idea that he's a child and not as, and this is something that's, that's been happening in kids stories and cartoons ever since there were such a thing, it still goes on, they don't have a child that's basically a half-size adult. Right. There are so many things where the lead character is a child by description because they're, you know, 15 years old and look small and what have you, supposedly to get the child audience on side of them. But in terms of how they act they're just like an adult character in a small body and that's that's not what kids do that's right yeah i really appreciate the the sort of bravery that they had in making sure that you understood steven was a kid and you know i mean if you were like a lot of us a lot of the adults who watch the show if we were in steven's place we'd probably try to sit the gems down and say, okay, answer these questions. I need to know what's going on and stuff. But Stephen, if he's kind of been, he's been himself and he's known these gems his whole life, it's kind of more organic than that. And he's not going to sit down and say, I need you to explain your whole life to me. Like he's absorbing it just like we all absorb how life works. And sometimes we miss crucial things or don't ever wonder something that everyone else is wondering. Um, and, and I think that's important. This isn't the sort of show where they're going to open with him saying, as you know, you've been taking care of me for this many years and the time will come, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So, and I feel like, um, you know, I guess you'll be able to tell me in the future if you agree with me on this since you only have one episode really to use for perspective. But I, I like to think that Stephen as he kind of grows and has introspective moments, we do sort of earn uh, points where he can do that, where he can ask a question that he's suddenly wondering for the first time, you know, incredibly 13 episodes in, he's like asking a really obvious question that the rest of us have been going, yes, please tell us this. Um, But when, you know, like I said, you're, if you're a kid, it may just never occur to you. These are just, these are like your moms and you don't wonder. (laughs) Yeah. And also, thank goodness he's not an obnoxiously teen appeal character trying to bust out with cool, trendy phrases. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, The most he wants to impress you is by singing his cookie cat song. Which, let's face it, trendy kids probably weren't doing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. Like, I watched a movie recently in which it's from the 90s and the kid was obviously supposed to be spouting totally radical teen catchphrases and seen 20 years later and as an adult, you're sort of like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's cringy. Can I just write to the villains and tell them where he is and they can finish him off now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do like when slang is incorporated into things naturally, not when they're trying to 
you know, usually by the time the adults get a hold of it and put it in the teen magazines and put it on the show, it's already past when the kids are saying it in earnest. They might be saying it ironically now. But I like hearing, you know, Groovy or Daddy-O or whatever in these dated shows when you're supposed to, you know, when you would actually hear those phrases and those words. But, you know, you can definitely tell when they're pushed in there to make it sound really current and it's not current pretty much by the time it airs. (laughs) A good listener and writer can notice that there are some things that have stayed in vogue for long enough to be able to use. Like kids said cool when we were kids. Kids said cool when our parents were kids. Kids say cool now. That's probably safe. Yeah. But you don't want Mm -hmm. to, as you say, pick one that's going to expire by the time you write it down. You can pick what's going to have stuck around long enough to even if it doesn't sound exactly like a kid now, it'll sound more like a kid now, now, as well as like next week. Yeah, I would agree. And sometimes it's hard to tell which things are going to stick around, but you know, things like cool. And Stephen, I think said, said awesome in this episode. He called the centipedals awesome. Oh yeah. So he did. And that, that one's Uh, been around for, it comes and goes a bit, but it's been around for a good few decades. So probably safe. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember being like, 13 and yelling radical nobody would really say that <laughs> uh yeah no that that is gnarly <laughs> talking like a ninja oh, turtle yeah. oh yeah totally radical dude <laughs> mm, yeah and now people just kind of say it to intentionally sound dated even the tv tropes entry on such things is called totally radical that's great. I haven't spent enough time on TV tropes. I think I only know the really obvious ones. <laughs> There'll probably be a few of them slipping into my discussions as time goes on because I have spent a lot of time there. I would be happy to learn about those things if there's one I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, there you go. You just learned totally radical. Yes. Yes. I like that it's it's so obvious what it's referring to just by what it's called. <laughs> ah. So I imagine that I uh, I won't have to give you three guesses for this, but can you can you guess what food I made for this episode? <laughs> I'm guessing ice cream sandwiches, something feline. <laughs> yes, I have made cookie cats. And um, how did they turn out? Well, uh, I have now made them, I believe, either three or four times. Uh, the, the hardest part of it is being the right cookie cutter. When I first tried to make them... I tried to create my own cookie cat cutter out of folded over foil and it didn't work very well. I got a lot of lopsided cat heads, (laughs) but my second time and subsequent times I used a 3d printed cookie cat cutter that I got from an artist on Etsy. (laughs) They do actually sell a set now at hot topic, which is strange, but I ordered a set of them and they're much smaller than I thought a cookie cat would be, and they look like they're harder to use. So I haven't actually tried them out yet, even though I bought them because I'm a nerd. So I have this 3D printed one, and the way that I did it was, of course, there's the two parts. There's the ice cream and the cookie, and if you want to make a chocolate cookie, it's pretty easy. You know, it's the typical flour, cocoa powder, salt, powdered sugar, butter, I used egg yolks and uh, vanilla extract, 
And, you know, I just kind of sifted stuff together, the, the dry ingredients and the wet ingredients. And, you know, you get a dough from that. And I chilled it and rolled it out and cut out the cats. Actually, I left the eye holes in half of them so that if you put the ice cream on them, it won't drip out the bottom. So it's a little less messy. After I baked them, you know, I had to cool them for a very long time because you can't put ice cream on a hot cookie. No, it's not. And, um, yeah. So Neapolitan ice cream comes in a square carton where I live, and I don't know how universal that is. The vanilla and strawberry stripes were next to each other in the carton, which was convenient for making cookie cats for me. So I just used a spatula to kind of cut out a slice of that and put it on the kitty cats. The pink ice cream is on the side and the the right side and the vanilla is on the left side. So it has two different colors to it. Oh, definite Uh, attention to detail. uh, So I just squished it on down and I kind of pushed it down so that it came out the sides a little and trimmed it up with an icing knife. And then I just wrapped them individually and put them back in the freezer. And recently a movie came out for Steven Universe as we're making this video. This was pretty recent history. And I, I had a big party at my house for people who were caught up on the show and wanted to see the movie. And I made cookie cats for them. So I actually still have some. <laughs> and they are delicious. <laughs> They're actually really, really good uh, and surprisingly filling. So that is how you make a pet for your tummy. <laughs> uh, and I will do my best to share the recipe for people who are able to see a visual version of this. I'll just put the ingredients up for anyone who wants to try it. Some people have preferred to do it without using ice cream because it's very, very messy. You know, they'll do frosting. Uh, What's that? I was asking what they use instead, and then you said it. Yeah. They might use either frosting or I've seen some people use like marshmallow fluff, which I don't eat marshmallows because they're not a vegetarian thing. They have gelatin, and I don't eat gelatin. But I do eat milk and eggs and stuff, so I would eat ice cream. And I bought ice cream for it. I can't see so, how it would work with marshmallow fluff, though. I don't know. I guess, you know, since I've never tried it, I don't know. But you would definitely have to color half of it pink to get it correct. Um, and I'd say that's, that's part fun. of it. There's, there's a part of you saying, you can't do marshmallow because it's not marshmallow on the TV. Right. And in most cases, when I try to replicate a recipe, I try to what it really is, not just make it look right, but make it what they say it is. I have a couple exceptions to the fact that some items are not edible for me, being that I to stay vegetarian. So like I said, for the pilot, it's a veggie dog, but you you can't tell the difference between a regular hot dog and a veggie dog in a dog nut. So it's kind of overwhelmed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you really can't see the difference. But in some of the items that I that I will talk about later, it's pretty obvious that I'm tooting. But, you know, similar to the, I guess, last time we were talking about how um, I wanted to feature a fun piece of uh, related merchandise. And uh, this one is a cookie cat pillow. Oh. <laughs> so, oh, that looks cozy. I want it. Very cool. And actually, I have two of them. They're slightly different. One is sparkly and one is not. These were special items at San Diego Comic Con. And they're so 
cute and squishy. (laughs) And they've even got the color difference. They do. I am really thrilled with those. They came out so cute. (laughs) So I'll have to show that to anybody who's looking at this on a visual medium. You could do a photo of yourself. You could do a photo of yourself to post snuggling them like that. Yeah, I might have to. Um, I may, I may prefer to just uh, show a nice uh, close up of them. But um, it's it's surprising how much Cookie Cat merchandise there is, considering you know it's the first episode, and I don't know. I guess it's just very, it's just that appealing. Yeah, they kind of look like um, what's it? What is it? Uh, Hello Kitty. Yeah. I was going to say, it'd also be fairly simple to design and make most of them too because it's the shape of a cat head for a couple of different colours and eyes. You wouldn't have to go into too much detail to get it right or at least get it looking right. So it lends itself well to pillows, badges and that sort of thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, the other characters in the show are not as fortunate when it comes to design. I've, I've seen some pretty awkward plushies being made of them. And uh, they're rarely successful. They're they're always in that sort of, well, almost always in that uncanny valley of is this cute or is weird. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, it, looks, it looks similar to a clock I used to see around a lot, and I think it was a coincidence because I used to see them long, long ago. But it used to be oh. a fairly basic clock with a the cat's head silhouette, much like the cookie cat one yes. at the top, and sometimes it would have a tail like a pendulum. Yes, I've seen those. I know what you're talking about. Hmm. I wonder if there was a, a relationship there. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, so uh, if the designer is sort of just working away, go, oh, I've got to finish this soon, looks at the clock and goes, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, I guess uh, relatedly, there's um, a factoid I heard once when they were talking about how to design, how they design props and, you know, ideas for the, for the show, backgrounds and stuff. They really wanted people to pull from their actual childhoods, like not completely replicate the wrapper of that candy bar or exactly that coffee cup, but sort of the feeling of it Yeah. so that you weren't just drawing generic coffee cups and wrappers. You were designing something that is from your own life. And that way it start, it just feels very authentic. It feels like this could be real somewhere. And it, it just gives it that extra push of authenticity if it comes from someone's real life. So yeah. I would, so I would not be surprised if uh, there's some, some, uh, Roots to Cookie Cat. Yeah, well, that TV was very familiar, the one that got yeah. shielded into pieces. <laughs> uh, in fact, there's still one of those at my workplace because no one has the heart to throw it out. Yeah, the one with a, with a VCR um, attached to it, right? Yeah, and they even got the cables that stick in the front, right? So yeah. someone was definitely paying attention when they did that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, especially just the way that Rebecca Sugar talks about why and how she makes things, you definitely feel like there's a certain vibe to, like, I'm trying to recreate this feeling of 
sitting on my floor playing video games with my brother. And you feel like that's the room where she did that. That's what she looked at when she was doing those things. Um, and uh, of course, like I, I, I had mentioned this last time by her, her brother was Steven and uh, he does, he does the, uh, the, a lot of the background art for the show. So I believe he was the one that painted that, that picture of the temple and all the art in the backgrounds. Cool. So, so yeah, he, he'd definitely be feeling the same thing as her. Yeah. He's, uh, he's the, the younger sibling. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I still have a VCR, but it is not joined to my television. Same, same. Yeah. Being a, being a bit of a, a film and media nerd, occasionally I have to <laughs> dust it off and hook it up, but for the most part it's in the cupboard. Yeah. Mine is still, mine is still hooked up. I have many, many VHS tapes. I have not checked recently to make sure that they are all still uh, viable, but. It does. It does tend to do degrade after a while. VHS tapes, but I put a lot of love into taping some of those shows from other videotapes. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's what you did. Oh, exactly. <laughs> when, when I started to go optical and digital, I felt like I was betraying my vast VHS collection. Oh yeah. I mean, I would. I learned to program a VCR and. Yeah, this is my uh, Steven Universe is my favorite TV show as an adult. But when I was an older teenager, my favorite TV show was Animaniacs, and um, I I didn't get home from school quite in time to start my VHS recording. So I had to learn how to program a VCR to, to turn it on at a specific time, and it could still fail to pick up the cartoon if somebody unplugged it or somebody changed the channel or the power had gone out, like I might come home hoping to be able to watch my cartoons and I'd missed the whole beginning because there was no such thing as DVR or, you know, backing up anything. You, you missed it. You missed it. Yeah. You couldn't go, Oh, I'll just pop onto the watch later service and catch it there. Yeah, I think a lot of people have no idea really how recently it is that anything is on demand. Even, you know, a lot of stuff was not available until or unless you bought the videotape of it or rented it from the blockbuster. You know, you, you couldn't watch stuff. You couldn't just bring it up. So Yeah, well even in so, the VH, in the VHS era there was a lot less stuff released to home video than is now. You certainly yep. wouldn't get loads of just season box sets for affordable prices, if at all. That's right. Yeah. And nowadays, even any physical media is um, somewhat frowned upon. I mean, there's, there's still quite a market for it and not just with older people, but I think that, some of the way that you get people to buy stuff is to put special features on it. And, um, I, I actually today just received my, my DVD of Steven universe, the movie, and I'm anxious to get to 
watch the the documentary footage and the fun little bonus storyboards and anything else that they've on there because I know there's bonus features on there. So um, I saw some people talking about it in a in a like a Reddit thread or something talking about. I can't believe people are buying DVDs in the year 2019, and it's like, well, they uh, they make it worth your while, and there isn't an op- a different opportunity to get that content. It's not available anywhere else unless you pirate it, and some of us choose to <laughs> buy the official stuff. <laughs> it's also very handy if you want to, you know, take or send your media anywhere. Like if it's yes. if it's a streaming account, then you might be locked into using it in a certain way. But if a friend wants to borrow a movie I've got on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, I just have to hand it to them. Yeah, I guess there's uh, pros and cons to every form of media. Um, but for a very long time, you know, Steven Universe didn't have, um, well, they didn't have much merch at all, but physical media still doesn't exist like um dvds i think only exist in the west for seasons one and two and the show has five seasons so uh there there are different releases in i believe in australia you can get all five that's what i was about to say for some reason australia seems to actually be ahead of the curve when it comes to releasing children's cartoons and stuff on home media. I'm not sure why that would be, but there's a a bunch of Transformers shows that you can get easily here, which uh, you can't in America, despite it being an American show. So I'm not sure why. Good for (laughs) y'all. Jealous. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately they cornered the market because um, Australia and US are on different region codes. That's right. I have a very good friend in Australia who sometimes would send me movies and I couldn't see them unless I, you know, they, they try to prevent you from permanently changing. Well, they, they try to prevent you from flipping back and forth between reason, regions for that. You can, you can figure out sometimes how to change your region code, but then it's stuck like that or you have a limited number of times that you can do that. So it's frustrating. Yeah. An interesting thing, you may have heard this already around the traps, an interesting thing that happened in Australia, uh, it doesn't seem to have affected Blu-ray as much, but DVD definitely, was someone found out at some point that it was actually technically illegal to region restrict the players. Oh. And so even if not advertised as such, after a given point, pretty much any DVD player you buy in Australia will be all region. Huh. And apparently it's also easier to do it here because for various reasons it's easier to get an NTSC picture to play on a PAL setup than the other way around. Huh. I can't remember the exact laws. There was something about... Um, you can't you can't just tell people they can't buy certain things or something like that. I'm sure if I still remembered how consumer law worked, I'd I'd know. But yeah, I, th- <laughs> I don't know if it's the same with Blu-rays, but right. I have had I have had some overseas Blu-rays play, but I've also just know that some 
some people who make the discs also these days just don't bother reading coding them. Yeah. Seems so unnecessary. We're one world. Let's share our stuff, Con. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I used to know, well, I still know them, but they used to work in the actual government department that was trying to deal with such things and of course you'd have the companies who still want still wanted who still thought they could make the best kind of money if everything was done region by region or country by country rather than just worldwide yeah and again they couldn't oh, well they couldn't force the issue but it was pre- it was pretty plain to see that in anyone who's doing worldwide releases was having less piracy problems because you weren't having movies or what have you released, you know, six months later and just everyone downloaded it in in interim. That's right. Yeah. I mean, if you want people to consume your, your content, you have to make it available or else they will do it for you. (laughs) Hmm. And that's the way that works. Yeah. It does seem weird now when there are actually such things as worldwide releases, but yeah, we used to often wait a year or more for big movies to get here. Yeah. These days, if it's two days, we think it's unreasonable. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Because then everybody's talking about it and spoiling it. Well, one of, and now we're desperately tangenting, so I'll go back in a moment. But when Breaking Bad, its last season was on TV here, the actual promos on television for the series were the announcer saying that, oh, great, now you're finally showing this. I can get back on Twitter and Facebook and not have to avoid all the spoilers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, um... I think uh, with the rise of social media, it's very hard to keep anything secret. So, um, you know, I mean, you almost do have to do that. You almost do have to stay off the internet if you desperately don't want to get spoiled about something. And it's it's unfortunate because some people are good about tagging spoilers in a way that you can avoid them, but then other people are determined to spoil people on purpose because they're jerks. Yeah. Um, I remember that, um, again, recently with the Steven Universe movie, they had a theatrical release for a very, like, limited audience a few days before it went on TV, and they made people sign non-disclosure agreements and took their phones away and everything. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was surprised at how little got leaked about that. Most of it was leaked through, most of the things that did get leaked were weird little accidents like soundtrack previews would say which voice actors sang on certain songs so we would know what characters appeared in the movie. And sometimes that was a big deal and stuff. So they didn't, maybe they didn't realize by showing you the credits for the songs that they're showing you something you didn't know, but mostly it was all inadvertent releases through official channels rather than anybody squealing. (laughs) Well, fortunately for our little project, the only, person I know who's that deep into Stephen University is you. So that'll be easy right. to handle. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, now that I know that we are going through it together, I am very mindful of making sure that you don't encounter spoilers, at least for me, from this point on. <laughs> but um, I, I imagine that there has probably been one or two spoilers in the backgrounds of videos you've seen that you, you didn't know were spoilers yet. Yeah, that's... Mm. That's going to be a difference because, of course, in the that's going to be a difference because early on I wouldn't have been able to contextualize and would have just bounced straight out of my head. So now I have to be a little right. bit, a little bit more wary of things in case someone says, "Oh, and remember the time Garnet does this," and I'll go, "Oh no, now I know what a Garnet is and what doing this means." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's some stuff I would love to say right now and I won't, but a little while later after we get uh, <laughs> a quarter or so of the way into the first season, there's a fun anecdote I'll have to share with you about uh, um, some of the stuff that they're accidentally spoiling if they show certain things in previews. Cause you know how cartoon network will be like, Oh, we're going to hype up the next episode. And then they don't realize that fans can tell something has happened, like something that's very important just by a certain detail that they inadvertently have released just from, you know, what they think is uh, innocent footage. <laughs> so we're, like we're way too detectives for them. <laughs> like on some shows where they do the recaps, the previously on parts, and oh. you can tell when a surprise character is going to return because they just show up in the recap with no connection to anything. It's like... Uh, well, he's back tonight. Yes, I've seen them. They're almost always so inelegant. I'm, I'm really glad they won't have anything like that for this show. But then again, at 11 minutes, they, yeah, they would waste too much time doing that. They're so short. And then we have talked about it for like an hour, more than an hour. <laughs> Knowing our defense, some of what we talked about was not about the show. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if you have it there, but the streaming services here actually have a thing where you can skip the recaps if you're binging a show. Yeah. So that's okay. that's handy if you're actually genuinely watching something new. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. I think um, just looking at any little notes I I made. I think I've covered most of the stuff I wanted to bounce off of you for the episode. Is there anything that you wanted to add? A lot of the things, a lot of the things we've covered, of course, I don't have much by the way of mad fan theories at this point, because there's sort of nothing to be going on with half the one episode and a non-canonical pilot. That's the sort of thing I imagine will grow organically over time that I will notice, oh, oh yes. how come this character does this each time instead of that? Whereas at yes. the moment it's still very raw. We've got Stephen who loves an ice cream sandwich he can't have. Crystal Gems defending the world from centipedals, which is a word I love, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So no, no deep theories at this point. No, I think maybe it'll be it'll be the sort of thing that once I'm deeper in, I might go back and say, oh, this is setting up for that later on, or this is seeding something or another. But at the moment, it just sort of is what it is. This is the show about, this is the episode, sorry, about the 
the cookie cats and the centripetals and Stephen <laughs> temporarily having a shield? Yes. Hmm. I'm not sure if uh, this would be a productive question, but uh, yeah, I guess I'll go ahead and ask um, if you could, like, where, when we watch the next one, is there uh, a particular question or idea that you hope that they'll address then or soon? Uh, I am hoping for at least some kind of context as to why this young boy is living with these ancient gem warriors. Ah, yeah, okay. So kind of the same thing we talked about in the pilot where that's the main question of his life right now for us. Yeah, there are some sitting in the background which are almost their own stories as to why are three ancient gem warriors hanging around in a beach slash treehouse slash temple in this funny little town on Earth, but I imagine it's also part of the story, so I'm not wondering... I'm not wondering too hard about that. That's what I'm sort of just anticipating more as being part of what's going on. Yeah, that's really where I was too at that point. I'm like, a lot of stuff I don't know, but I don't need to know it right now. It's not bothering me that I don't know. And there's a certain amount of this is happening in present-day America because the audience are from present-day America and they'd be able to Mm -hmm. bite into this world of ice cream sandwiches and donut shops more readily than if they set this in, you know, revolutionary France or something. (laughs) Yes, very true. (laughs) And at this point, for all I know, there is a chapter of their lives in revolutionary France, which is something that sometimes happens when you have characters that are hundreds or thousands (laughs) of years old. (laughs) Sure. Uh, That's what what every other episode of Highlander was, just flashing back to our immortal friend in some other period setting. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, with a show like that, you sure do get to milk that. (laughs) All right. That was a great discussion of this episode. I wonder another analysis of this episode in this depth exists out there. (laughs) I'm not going to go find out. You don't catch me out that way. (laughs) Yeah, I hope people will appreciate it. I've certainly enjoyed doing that. So, As have I, in a little virgin and veteran setup. Yeah, well, I guess we can wrap this one up right about here. So thank you for listening if you are still here. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time, I guess. Bye, y'all. You've been listening to Ivy and Daria on Not-So-Giant Women. You can find episodes of the show in video form by looking up Not So Giant Women on YouTube or in audio form at anchor.fm slash not so giant women or your podcatcher of choice. You can also find us on Facebook. Audio production by Daria. Video production and music by Ivy. Daria can also be heard on Postploitation, the Ozploitation podcast. And Ivy at her Steven Universe fan blog at love-takes-work.tumblr.com. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and remains property of Cartoon Network. No infringement is intended.